The fastest growing form of education, homeschooling. Common misconceptions and your questions answered. From a homeschool educator himself, we are going straight to the source. As homeschool enrollment outpaces the rate of private and public schools. Hi, everyone, and welcome to Educate. I'm Liz Collin. We'll also be exploring the often taboo topic of childhood vaccinations with the author of the new children's book called I'm Unvaccinated and That's Okay. A look at what life is like for an unvaccinated child who has an older vaccine-injured sibling. Good day, everyone, and thank you for joining us. We're going to get to those stories and more in a moment. But first, as you get to know the show here, an introduction of sorts and some show goals So you know what we're all about here on Educate. We are diving deep into the central issues of education, providing criticism and positive solutions to problems, pulling back the curtain on what's really happening in our schools by going beyond the headlines with a special focus here on K-12 classrooms. A bit about myself. My name is Liz Colland, and I'm joining you from the Minneapolis, Minnesota area. I'm a 20-year reporter and anchor who left mainstream media to be able to tell the truth, as wild as as that sounds, and to tackle some of these issues, it seems, that so often do not get talked about. I'm an author, a producer, a wife, most importantly, I think for this show, though, a mom, as I try to navigate the education world myself, it seems, each and every day. But with that, let's get to our first story here on Educate, Homeschooling's Rise from Fringe to fastest-growing form of education, a story from the Washington Post here that says, quote, the analysis based on data the Post collected for thousands of school districts across the country reveals that a dramatic rise in homeschooling at the onset of the pandemic has largely sustained itself through the 2022-23 academic year, defying predictions that most families would return to schools that have dispensed with mask mandates and other COVID-19 restrictions. The numbers here are really eye-popping, I would say. Uh, Overall, a 51% increase since the 2017-18 school year, so a 51% increase in homeschool enrollment, whereas private school is up 7%. Public school has a 4% decline in that same time frame. So certainly uh, some states are spiking a lot quicker than others. We're going to talk about that here in a bit. But before we dig too far into the data, I do want to welcome Joe Wolverton to the show. He is the John Birch Society's constitutional law scholar and head of a dedicated think tank focused on promoting and preserving the Constitution of the United States. He is a JD, an author, a YouTube and TikTok teacher of liberty, uh, as he goes by. But Joe, thank you so much for joining me to, to talk about this today. Thank you, Liz. I'm always happy to talk about this, one of my favorite subjects. And I think you have such a great background to d- discuss all of this Joe, um, before we dump in, before we jump into those homeschool headlines, uh, you've seen this from all different angles. Is it's what I love: a, a public school student yourself, a public school teacher, and a homeschool educator yourself. But give us a bit of your background here. Yeah, I, I attended private school. My you know growing up years, I attended private school, um, and then I. Yeah, I went to law school and started practicing law. But on the side, I had some homeschool family. And this is very early on. Um, actually, right before I graduated law school, I had um, a couple of uh, ladies who I knew uh, approach me and ask if I would be willing to teach a class on the Constitution to their kids. And I really didn't understand because homeschool was not something I really knew anything about at that time. They uh, that was they asked me to teach the Constitution to their kids. Uh one day a week for a couple of hours. And I said I would. And I thought I was being hired as a tutor. Turns out 
they had a whole co-op of homeschool families and there were 20 kids showing up in my living room to hear about the constant to learn about the constitution uh and then of course later on in my career after i retired from practicing law i uh, was invited to teach uh full-time as a history teacher at a charter school, which is essentially a public school with private funding, and uh, did that for for six years. And so, yeah, I've kind of seen it from all the different angles, myself being a student at a private school, being a teacher at a charter slash public school, and then being now, including to this day, I still teach two classes to uh, to homeschool co-ops around the country via Zoom. So yeah, I've I've definitely been able to to observe this phenomenon from all the different angles. What is your reaction then to start with, Joe, about this Washington Post um, analysis here showing how homeschooling is the is the fastest growing form of education? Are you surprised? No, I'm not surprised. Uh, I It's when you have, I'll tell you my own personal experience, for example, that actually drove several families from the charter school where I was teaching that drove them into homeschool, had nothing to do with COVID. It was the year before covid uh actually it was two years before covid it was 2018 and uh i had a couple of families approach me and literally come to my office after school at the the brick and mortar charter school where i taught high school and uh they they were concerned about a couple of mandates that had come down from the owner of the the charter school system number one was he wanted references to god and religion cut out of all the lessons. And number two is he had decided to accept federal grant money, which meant that we had to conform to federal curriculum standards, which required I'd always taught the Iliad by Homer to my classes, and that required me to stop teaching the Iliad. And it was one of the most popular things that I taught. And so these families came to me, to my office, literally to the school, and said, we don't like that you're not allowed to teach anything about religion or God or the influence of that on the founding, and we don't like that you can't teach Homer anymore. Is there any way that if we pulled our kids out, you would, you know, you would teach them? And so I, and of course I agreed, and I think that that more than anything, the fact that the curriculum is is so controlled, not only in public school, which one would expect, but in charter schools, the growth of charter schools and the federal government offering these grants to, I mean, in, in our case, this, the owner of the charter school received $8,000 for every student. And so you can imagine it's a way to control the charter schools as well. Private schools don't receive that money, but private schools do often just adopt the textbooks and the curriculum established by the federal government because it's so easy to do. And so you end up having a mass exodus away from the federal curriculum mandates into homeschool, private school, or charter school. And then once you find out, once parents find out that there's not a big difference in private school and charter school when it comes to the curriculum, then they too decide to teach their children at home. And so it, it has more to do with curriculum than COVID for sure. And this story specifically, Joe, focuses on the nationwide uh, nationwide trend, but it does point out that data isn't clear exactly in, in some states, how it's tracked kind of a different way. They compiled 32 states in all for this story. It seems the largest percentage increases of homeschooling 
uh, happened in California, South Dakota, Tennessee, New York, D.C. and Rhode Island. Um, And it also talks about how homeschooling's surging popularity crosses every measurable line of politics, geography and demographics. You know, your thoughts here. I mean, a 108 percent increase alone uh, in the Washington, D.C. area since that 2017, 2018 school year. Well, I mean, you look at the map that the Washington Post uh, article provides, and for the most part, it's very, the you know, the deeper blue you are, the more people are fleeing to homeschool, because these are the states that are going to be less tolerant of of homeschooling, but also they're going to be the states more quickly to adopt federal curriculum mandates. States like New York and California and and then D.C., albeit not a state, but a, a school district, those are the states where you expect lessons and curriculum that mainstream Americans and would re- regard as something offensive. And they're going to force those onto the public schools and the charter schools. Uh, so, yeah, you can understand that in New York, you're going to have families, even families that wouldn't be typically expected to homeschool, just, you know, more conservative, but less, you know, less likely to homeschool, you will find them even push toward homeschooling because of the speed uh, with which a state like New York or California adopts federal standards, and not only federal standards, but goes beyond that and turns their classrooms more into places where they can be kids are indoctrinated we'll continue our conversation with joe wolverton the john birch society's constitutional law scholar and an educator himself with experience in and out of the homeschool system you're listening to educate with liz collin Can you believe after all the recent violent protests, looting, and destruction, some communities are considering either defunding or abolishing the police? If you agree that now is the time when police protection is needed most, then it's time we stand up and support your local police and the communities they serve. Call 800-JBS-USA-1 and request your free Support Your Local Police info packet. That's 800-JBS-USA-1 and request your free Support Your Local Police info packet today. You're listening to Educate with Liz Collin. Welcome back to our conversation about the fastest growing form of education, homeschooling. We've been talking with Joe Wolverton, the John Birch Society's constitutional law scholar, about this trend that doesn't seem to be slowing down. Of course, uh, Joe, there are critics, as there there are to, to everything, right? And I wanted to address some of those concerns. Um, in this piece, it pointed out uh, people are upset the government isn't playing uh, a bigger role <laughs> in, in homeschooling. In fact, a Harvard law professor telling the Post that we should worry about whether they're learning anything uh, at all if if you're homeschooled. But but should we be? Well, how successful has government been at educating everyone in public school? <laughs> yeah, it's, it's exactly. Is that, it not, seems is that the, not the only relevant question? If someone if you hire someone to do a job for you and that person annually, perennially, year after year is underperforming and then someone, you know, you come up with a new you know, idea of how to do that job. And someone says, you know who we need to hire? That guy that's been horrible at it for years, <laughs> right? When you personalize this, Liz, it becomes so much easier to understand. For a Harvard law professor to say, you know what we need to do? We need to take this guy, this organization, government, that's been 
just rubbish at communication, at education for 100 years. And we need to give him control over other parts of education. It, it doesn't make any sense. And it's simply uh, people that fear this. I, I don't think regular people around the country care whether you homeschool your kids or not. But I do think if you pause and say, how successful has the federal government been at educating America's children? Then everybody says, yeah, what's this Harvard Law professor on about? Because it's been terrible. It's been chronicled. Even in the Washington Post itself, it's been chronicled to the point where if you ask anyone, I think I could go out in my neighborhood and ask everyone in my neighborhood, has the United States education system gotten better or worse in the last hundred years? Every one of them would say worse. And so to suggest that the government should now not only control public school and charter school, but it should control homeschool as well, to me, would indicate that whoever is advocating for that is likewise advocating for there to be even fewer possibilities for America's youth to actually be well-educated, which would made me question the uh, make me question the agenda of who who's ever advocating for government control of homeschool. Right, you have to think that these numbers would strike fear in the government and you know teachers unions uh, for certainly certainly alike. I wanted to point out some numbers, Joe. The the post estimates here there are now between 1.9 million and 2.7 million homeschooled children in the U.S. Depending on the the rate of increase um, in areas without that reliable data, but by comparison, there are fewer than 1.7 million in Catholic schools. Uh, that's according to the Catholic Educational Association. About 3.7 million students attended charter schools uh, in the fall of 2021. Um, and th- they just talk about how this is a remarkable expansion for a form of instruction that 40 years ago was actually considered illegal uh, in-, in much of the country. But my, how things have changed. Right. And that's, again, anyone can see if you even people that agree with what's going on in schools with regard to curriculum, with regard to the indoctrination, with regard to, you know, things such as the the transgender and the sexual education of, of, of very small children. Anyone can see, even if you agree with it, you can see that it's happening. So those of us in the mainstream, and that is to say the, the, the vast super majority of Americans, even as liberal as, Many of them may be you don't want your three year old being taught specifics about about sexual intercourse. And so you don't want your, you know, kindergartner being shown books, explicit books. And so the the mass migration is is not surprising. I mean, when they use words like remarkable, I'm like, is it really remarkable? It seems to me like if people weren't fleeing those places, that would be remarkable because it would say something terrible about the virtue and morality of Americans. But as it is to say that as these things increase, as these intrusive, uh, inappropriate curricular mandates increase, so does by proportion the number of families that are leaving those schools. That to me is not remarkable, but that's something that is praiseworthy. Some parents mentioned this is in a different story about school violence uh, playing a role in this decision. Uh, we have a, a homeschooler in New York, a mom speaking out on this, uh, that's a state with a 103% spike in homeschooling 
uh, by the way. But she spoke out uh, about that that piece, school violence, uh, recently with a reporter from Spectrum News in Albany, New York. Let's listen. There are many reasons someone could decide to homeschool. A concern that Jenny hears a lot from other parents is safety. School violence and and the educational system's response to that school violence has come up more often, but it's not usually the number one reason people decide to homeschool. It is, however, a huge reason why people decide not to go back to the conventional school system. Homeschooling has been gaining popularity since the COVID-19 pandemic, but it's been more than two years since the vaccine came out, yet many homeschool numbers across New York have stayed high. According to Education Week in 2022, there were 51 school shootings with injuries or deaths. Jenny says another issue she hears from parents is the response to the what if. But it's also a really big concern that in 2023 we're doing, you know, active shooter drills with five-year-olds. Um, and it's necessary. And I think for a lot of homeschoolers, the necessary response to this violence is just as concerning as the violence itself. So, Joe, what are your thoughts on that school violence um, and, you know, the, this parent making that point? Well, I think, you know, there you can measure really easily how many uh, violent attacks, how many armed atrocities have occurred in in homeschools. And that's, you know, attributable to many things. It's difficult for those people to know where to go because they take place in people's homes. And secondly, many of those people, if you go into those homes, you're probably not going to like your reception if you walk into somebody's house with a gun in a house where where guns are are kept. Um, but this is the thing, Liz, that I get to about this uh, uh, school shooting. We focus a lot on the shooting and not on the school. The fact is that they're happening at these schools. And if you knew as a mom and dad, if you decided that you wanted to send your ch- your children out to eat every day, and then you heard that in restaurants in your town and across the country, there were outbreaks of E. coli. And you never could predict where the E. coli would happen, but you knew that E. coli was on the rise and you knew that it only happened in certain restaurants. Would you send would you even take the chance to send your children to one of those restaurants thinking, oh, well, it won't happen at this one. It happens at other ones. It won't happen at this restaurant. The food there is fine. Would you even consider that or would you do whatever it takes, make whatever sacrifice necessary to feed your children at home? For me, it comes down to that. Only it's much worse than food poisoning. You send your kid to these places where you know children have been murdered. No parent should be excused for doing that. And there's just, you have to make the sacrifices necessary. You have to prioritize your children's safety. And guess what, mom and dad, you can teach them. You are able to do that. We live in an era where the technology will, you know, as the $6 million pin, right? We have the technology. We can do this. We can educate your kids. And that's just the bottom line. You have to prioritize your children's safety. We'll talk more about those resources coming up. You're listening to Educate, brought to you by The New American. Welcome back to Educate with Liz Collin. We've been tackling the topic of homeschooling uh, this hour with Joe Wolverton. 
from the John Birch Society's Constitutional Law Scholar. He's our guy with all all of the answers, it seems, to this homeschooling situation. I think that's the most um, common. I wanted to tackle a couple common misconceptions, I think, from homeschool kids. First of all, let's tackle that before we dive into resources. Where can parents go for more information? As far as the um, you know, are kids more of an outcast if they if they are homeschooled? Do they not fit in in, in social settings? I feel like that's always a, a common sort of misconception if your your child is a little awkward in, in social settings, Joe. Well, I, I don't know about you, Liz, but when I grew up, um, most of my socialization with my peers took place after school. We would get on our bikes and go riding or go over to someone's house and play games and stuff. It didn't happen at school. At school, you know, you're you're forced to be a good little soldier. You stand up when the bell rings, you sit down when the bell rings, you speak when spoken to, you sit with, you know, you sit in a, a chair for lunch. When the bell rings, you get up from that chair. It's not a lot of socialization, you know, in class maybe, but even if you try to socialize in class, you get, you know, you get told to shut up and And so most of the socialization takes place after school. And I don't I have never seen I have taught homeschoolers since 1999. I've never seen any of them be any by proportionally any more awkward than any public school kid. In fact, if you take and and mind you, yes, this is anecdotal, but I I've had, you know, over 20 years experience. If you take the uh, average homeschool child and the average public or charter school child, there are much more uh, cases of uh, being, you know, n- needing sort of intervention in the public and charter school for kids that have socialization issues than there are in homeschool kids. You don't find this. I remember when I got hired to teach at this charter uh, high school, I was given at the beginning of the semester just a folder, a good inch and a half thick with information on the different kids in my classes that needed that had issues with socialization that were somewhere quote on the spectrum unquote and so i don't find that in homeschool kids and secondly the homeschool movement has become so broad and so widespread that these kids are adopting many of the cultural um uh, habits of their public and charter school friends that is to say they have dances, they have proms, they have uh, plays that they put on. They invite the neighbors. I, I go every year to a play to a, one of the homeschool co-ops near my house. They do a Shakespeare play every year. And it isn't just the parents of the kids. It's the whole neighborhood gets invited. They charge people a dollar to come and they put that back into the, you know, for next year's play. And they have Dan, they even have a prom, for goodness sakes, where you can invite people and they rent out, you know, a local event center. So uh, this socialization, it seems like something that was a successful argument, maybe in the 80s and the 90s and maybe in the 2000s. But today, when you look at it in practice, it's a very silly argument and it's one that doesn't really apply anymore, Liz. Yeah, this Washington Post story specifically, Joe, mentions uh, Hillsborough, Hillsborough County, I should say, uh, in Florida of the 10 districts with the most homeschooled kids um, in, in the database. But they have 154,000 kids in Florida alone homeschooled. But it's incredible. They're, yeah, they're going to plays, proms, organized sports. Um, all of these things are are happening with these homeschool programs. What about... Um, you know the the fact that either mom or dad has to has to stay home to to homeschool. Is it realistic that both parents can be working outside of the home to to make this work? 
it's difficult for both parents to work outside of the home and make this work. That's true. But of course, Liz, I mean, it's your kids. You know what I'm saying? You, we're going to have to make sacrifices. We're going to have to sit down as mom and dad and and say, what are our, our priorities? Can we live with less in order to protect our children, not only from the potential of armed violence, but from being exposed to the sorts of things that one is exposed to? And you talk about the socialization. Do you really want to send your kid into a place where, A, you do not know those other kids. You do not know their parents. You do not know what's acceptable. You do not know the teachers. You don't know where they're from. You don't know their background. You don't know where they went to college. You don't know what they get up to in their private. They're complete strangers. You're essentially taking God's greatest gift to you, your children, and you're taking them and you're dropping them off for 12 or 13 years to be raised by strangers. That to me is the most bizarre calculation that parents could make and say, you know what, let's just roll the dice. Let's see that there's, you know, armed violence, at these public schools. Let's see that they're having this woke agenda pushed on these kids as early as five years old. But you know what? Let's take our kids for the next 13 years and hand it over to those people. It's sort of that what could possibly go wrong? What could go wrong? <laughs> Nothing's going wrong there. And so, Liz, yes, is it is it, uh, you know, recommendable? Is it? more likely to be successful if 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 mom's at home of course it is that's but that's been true for 5000 years of human existence liz i mean we cannot you know we cannot make these decisions that are going to place our kids in such peril but we don't have to do it we can prioritize our children and i think that's what it comes down to really it's just what do you value most and then make your decisions economical decisions based on those values liz and let's spend the last few minutes then if people are interested in exploring homeschool as an option where where can where can they turn what are some some good options for them you know i think first of all i would recommend to parents don't you know when it comes to homeschool emphasize the home and not the school you don't have to replicate what happens in public schools. In fact, you probably shouldn't, you know, watch your child, know your children, know what they're interested in, teach them. If you're interested in teaching them a broad away, array of subjects, if you want to do that sort of replicate what's supposed to be done in, in public school, there are so many resources. I, Liz, it's like, it's one of those things. It's so abundant. It's difficult to point out this, that, or the other, but you can go, on YouTube and you can say, you know, you simply can say, uh, like, for example, if this were your interest, Christian creationism science curriculum. And guess what? You're going to have a thousand content providers. And the same is true for every subject. If you want to say biblically based his history class, homeschool, high school, you're going to have a thousand. So we live in a time when we are so blessed to have technological resources that were denied to our ancestors. So mom and dad today have a much easier time of teaching kids, even if they feel themselves inadequate. First of all, you're not inadequate, right? You, you get by in life. You see what it takes to get by in life. Teach your children likewise. And so don't think that you're inadequate, first of all. Because you're a successful man or woman, you can teach your kids those skills that they need to be successful men or women. 
And if you are interested in sort of the academic, you know, emphasizing the academic, which is perfectly, you know, fine, acceptable and recommendable and all of that, then what you do is just research it online, do your due diligence. Uh, Imagine you were, you know, imagine you were going to buy a home security system, right? You want to research what's the best, what suits your family the best. Do likewise with your education. Just uh, do your due diligence, search out the people that offer curriculum, ask homeschool families in your neighborhood. What do y'all do? Do you, do you hire tutors? Do you have a co-op? What does the co-op do? I mean, just do your due diligence. Remember that you're doing this on behalf of your greatest treasure, your children, and do the diligence that your greatest treasure is worthy of. And you will find resources upon resources. And you will, Liz, after one day, you'll feel so much more comfortable than you did the day before. And every day will increase that. You just, just do that research that is necessary and keep in the front of your mind that you're doing this for the the health, right. safety, and success of your children. Well, Joe Wolverton, the John Birch Society's constitutional law scholar, thank you so much for joining us to talk on this topic. And we're going to talk to you again real soon. We appreciate it. Thank you, Liz. I love doing it. You're listening to Educate. Still to come, an author and doctor shedding some light on an often controversial topic, childhood vaccines. And she's putting it out there for our kids to better understand in a brand new children's book. This show is brought to you by The New American. For more, visit thenewamerican.com. And for more on the show, head to thenewamerican.com slash educate. We'll be right back. The John Birch Society has been working tirelessly since 1958 to preserve freedom, safeguard the Constitution, and restore our God-given rights. We continually educate voters and lead the freedom movement. Join us as we work against a tyrannical one-world government. United as one, we can defeat this conspiracy against a free America. JBS founder Robert Welch said, Education is our total strategy and truth our only weapon. Go to JBS.org and join us in restoring this great nation. Welcome back to Educate. I'm Liz Collin, where we are diving deep into the central issues of education, providing criticism and positive solutions to problems. If you're just tuning in, we've been talking about the rising trend of homeschooling, in fact, the fastest growing form of education. And our next guest addresses that a bit as well in her new children's book called I'm Unvaccinated and That's Okay by Dr. Shannon Croner. Dr. Croner, thank you so much for taking the time to be with me on the show. Appreciate it. Thank you so much for having me on today. This certainly isn't an, an easy uh, topic to tackle. It's why I applaud you for, for doing so. But why did you see a need for, for a book like this? I, it sounds like you have your own kind of pro- professional and, and personal reasons uh, for putting this out there. Well, I mean, I put it out there for so many different reasons. I've actually been working with kids with special needs since uh, 2001. And so I have seen a lot of vaccine injury over the years. And um And I also, I live in California where we have the strictest vaccine mandate laws in the nation. In uh, 2015, we lost our personal belief and uh, philosophical exemptions. And then in 2019, we lost our medical exemptions. 
So really the only option for a child who's missing even just one vaccine is homeschool in the state of California. And um, these laws, these bills and these laws uh, seem to be spreading throughout the nation. Um, and so I just really felt that there was, there's really not any literature out there for children on uh, the topic of vaccination that that really kind of gives them the information that they need uh, to, you know, justify their reasons and their family's reasons for not vaccinating them and um, really helps them educate, you know, really helps educate them on the issue. Um, you know, my own children are homeschooled, but they had uh, experienced bullying and, and things like that uh, while in school on the uh, you know, regarding vaccines in the past. And so I just really felt that it was time for children to have their own information, their own, their own literature. And from your, for your standpoint, um, just from where you sit, do you think that, that COVID and this push for vaccine mandates, and then really just this deafening silence, I would say, uh, you know, by, by the media, some of our, you know, so-called leaders in all of this, um, when it comes to the vaccine injured, do you think people um, have started to wake up? I was taking a look at your your reviews and clearly that the book is doing well on, on Amazon and such and people thanking you uh, for tackling this topic. But do you see light at the end of the tunnel here? Yeah, I mean, I believe that the the pandemic really woke a lot of people up to what vaccine injury is. There's no way that I could have brought this book out uh, prior to the pandemic. People just were not accepting that there was even such a thing as vaccine injury. And now we hear about it all the time. It seems that after COVID, everybody seems to know at least one person now who has been injured by the COVID vaccine. And so it's a lot more acceptable to talk about and to, you know, really the book is really about choice and honoring the choices that others make about their own body in regards to vaccines and I think that having been through COVID and having seen as much vaccine injury as we have now experienced, that people are much more open-minded to the idea of vaccines being a choice. We are talking with Dr. Shannon Croner, the author of I'm Unvaccinated, and that's okay. Um, so it does sound like the the reaction to the book ha has been going well. And I think what's also interesting, I wouldn't say this is even just an education for for children taking a look at uh, at this book, but but for adults uh, alike, I think a lot of um, people didn't know the these terms, you know, like the the VAERS system, for example, or taking a look at organic foods, the ingredients in vaccines for that matter. It seems like you're trying to to kind of pull the curtain back for adults here as well, doctor. Yeah, when I wrote this book, I was really I, in my mind, I had this idea that both parent and child, um, that both parent and child would be sitting together reading this book because there are some uh, difficult, you know, terms and topics. And, you know, I, I believe it's a really great first book for anyone, whether you're an adult or a child, uh, to help kind of open the door to exploring and researching vaccines. And, um, and that's why I did include a glossary that, you know, will explain what formaldehyde is or why there are, you know, um, why certain animal products are used 
in the manufacturing of vaccines or what encephalitis is or what autism, what the, the definition of autism is. And then, you know, I've also included a resource page in there with some of my favorite resources so that for the parent who wants to, you know, do a lot more research, uh, which is kind of the the overall message of the book is that the importance of research before vaccinating your children. Um, I've included this resource page with all my favorite uh, books and links to websites, documentaries. Um, and it even the first uh, resource on the page is actually the CDC's pink book, because I want people to know that that what I'm listing here in the resources, they are factual and and good information. And and speaking of resources, tell us a little bit um, more about your organization, Freedom of Religion U- United Solutions. So it's for U.S., uh, as I understand, correct, where you serve as its uh, executive director? Yeah. So, you know, I actually started that organization in 2019. And um, I started it when uh, SB 276 passed, which took away our medical exemptions in California. Mm-hmm. And I felt, you know, and I kept seeing this trend that these same bills were coming out in different states throughout the country. And um, and so I just figured that, you know, we really need to have a joint effort through, you know, our, our religious freedom is protected by our First Amendment. And I really felt that we really needed to use that to protect our religious freedom. And, you know, um, if that meant, you know, for religious purposes, you do not want to vaccinate, that needs to be honored. And, you know, I did this in 2019. So it was prior to the pandemic. And I started this organization, uh, Freedom of Religion, United Solutions, and began building a coalition of faith leaders of all different faiths. So I started to, it was interesting because I just kind of started cold calling pastors and rabbis and imams and monks to try and see, you know, are, can, can I get your support in the protecting the religious freedom of vaccine choice? And it was very slow to start in 2019. But once the pandemic happened and we saw that these vaccines were going to be mandated and we saw the churches being closed and the temples being closed, that's when I started to receive a flood of phone calls from faith leaders throughout the country, actually throughout the world, um, asking how they can be involved. And so now, you know, today we have a group of around 60 faith leaders of many different faiths who have united to protect the religious freedom of vaccine choice. And uh, for anybody who wants a religious exemption where they are allowed, um, they can get that for, for free through my organization's website. And tell us that website name, please. It's uh, for united solutions.org. So F O R united solutions.org. Well, Dr. Croner, thank you so much for the important work you're doing. And I also want to make the point, too, just as we close here, this really is about uh, freedom and making your your own personal choice. And that's and that's also what you want uh, kids to to take away as well, to to respect one another and what they decide. Absolutely. You know, um, one of the things about about my book is that it's really it's not meant just for the unvaccinated child. It's really meant for any child. It's meant for children who have been vaccinated and you know, um, 
may need to show a little bit more compassion for their unvaccinated friends. And it's for the unvaccinated child or the child who maybe received some and not all vaccines uh, to have a better understanding of why their parents are making the choices that they are. And to, to really just for anybody to have the information moving forward in a world where we've just experienced uh, mandates for vaccines, coercion at every level, um, and and really bullying. There's been so much bullying uh, in schools, whether it's from peers or from teachers or from you know the heads of schools, um, really kind of shaming children who have been unvaccinated. And and I've seen that a lot, and I've experienced that with my own my own kids. And you know, really, that was why I put this book out there is to really just bring the information to the people. A great service, Dr. Shannon Croner, the author of "I'm Unvaccinated and That's Okay." Thanks again for joining me. Thank you so much for having me on. And thank you for listening to Educate with Liz Collin. We'll talk again next week. This show is brought to you by The New American. For more, visit thenewamerican.com. And for more on the show, check out thenewamerican.com slash educate. 